Exploring the Word of God together allows us to share in the joy that comes from discovering the words of hope and salvation which overflow from our Bibles. Upper Room Media presents to you this educational, enlightening and entertaining Bible study. Prepare to be transformed. In the name of the Father, and Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. We'll continue to study the book of Song of Songs. We are chapter 7. Just want to remind you where we are in the book. So we are at the almost last stage of a spiritual life of a perfected soul. Okay? What do we mean by a perfected soul? A soul that have accepted God to do all the work in her life. So a perfect soul is a soul that she realizes she is, she is nothing and God is doing everything inside of her. And actually, you'll notice that she started last chapter, chapter 6, she called her, herself Shulamite, or coming from Solomon, is the feminine of Solomon. So she finally recognized her, herself as what an image of the Lord. This is the beauty of it. Throughout all the journey of her life, when God called her, when she was lazy, when she was doing everything, the Lord only used a few methods. One was encouragement, and not only encouragement, but showing her or speaking of her as he saw her perfect image. So the Lord will always praise her as if he sees her in eternity and praising her from that point of view. Also, we see the times when she was getting weak, the Lord would leave her for some time, depending on the situation. The Lord have given her uh, the watchmen, which is the clergy, and the people have given her the daughter of Jerusalem, which are other people who are walking with the Lord. So this is really the whole field of a spiritual life. The Lord has never rebuked her once. He came and knocked on the door, told her, open for me, it's raining outside. He never rebuked that she did not open. He would just leave. That's his only way of correcting the perfected soul. Okay? So, the Lord, the last chapter, she, she was, she was uh, talking, and now the beloved is going to kind of respond back to her. Okay? And this is beautiful because it tells us what is God praising in us. There is a mystery that happened in us when we recognize that we are nothing. I don't know anything. I thought I was good, but even the, my own goodness turned out to be fake. I am not that holy. I'm not that forgiven. I'm not that righteous. Everything that I thought about myself were false. I thought people can't survive without me, they can. I thought that all my efforts have an impact, they really didn't, it messed things up. So God works in a soul that it recognizes it's nothing. And then once it recognizes, God works in it. And he adds beauty to it. And then God praises that soul. It's almost like God says, you know, like, I want to furnish your house to be the best, just to empty it out of all the garbage. And once the house is so beautiful, he says, wow, what a beautiful house. That's what he does. Okay? So let's see what the Lord is doing here. He's describing here. He says, 
How beautiful are your feet and sandals, O prince's daughter! The curves of your thighs are like jewels, the work of the hands of a skillful workman. So God starts by describing her, but he describes her from the lowest part and goes up all the way to the head. God sees what we see as least important, he sees is the most important sometimes. The least decision that you might think it's not important, it's important. I'll give you an example. Sometime throughout your day, you might realize that God taught you a lesson, showed you something that about yourself that you did not realize. The fact that I can lift up my heart quickly and offer mercy and offer thanksgiving to God it seems so small, but in it, so much power. Because I recognize that I see Him working in my life. It could be much more important than me visiting somebody or building a building or opening. It could, it could have a lot more than we think. And then God praises her, the, our, uh, how beautiful are your feet in sandals. Obviously, the word feet specifically has to do with people who are preaching the word of God. And, and Isaiah says, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who proclaim peace. The Lord praises the perfect soul because she goes around spreading the word of God. How does she spread the word of God? She spread the word of God by walking in a life of perfection. She does not have to be herself preacher, but she has to be repenting. I remember before I became a priest, my father of confession in Egypt, told me, do you know what is a priest? I gave him an answer. But he says, he told me, look, a priest is somebody who barely began to repent. Barely began to what? To repent. And God says, come, continue your repentance. So your main work as a priest is to repent. We don't we don't lead people to God by words or by artificial talks. The only thing that leads is a life transformed by God that makes people want to be like it. And now he's talking about a feet that's wearing a sandals. In the East, obviously, uh, to wear a sandal means like you have to be a bit rich. Usually poor people or slaves would walk around without sandals. Right? But he's talking about a sandal that's not any sandal. How beautiful are your feet? And sandals of prince's daughter. Most likely these sandals that she was wearing, which is a princess, means what it has jewels in it. Okay, it has jewels in it. So they were not any sandals. They were sandals that are expensive, expensive sandals. So what are, what are is exactly the Lord is, is praising her for? If you guys remember when Adam and Eve fell, the Lord told them the ground will produce thorns. So this beautiful soul is walking with the sandals, not being harmed by the thorns of the world. You know, like people can be harmed by the music of the world, the shows of the world, the dancing of the world. One of, one of, uh, one of the youth was sharing something with me that was beautiful. He said, he was reading in a book and they were talking about dancing, for example. And he was saying that a lot of the, the dances now that people have, the whole point of it is to lose control. 
the worldly dances. People just go crazy. Compare that to a lot of the traditional dances that was actually about making sure there's coordination and there's a lot of control. So what the world does sometimes, takes anything that could be beautiful and puts a spin to it to gives it, to gives it a, a worldly feel. That's why those who are wearing sandals, they're protected from the thorns. They're protected from what the world could really impact them. And the two sandals can represent the, the Bible, the two testament, the old and the new. So God praises a soul for walking in the direction of the gospel. What is what are the verses and the and the examples in the scripture that impacts my life daily? What principles do I follow daily? Okay. And also in the old days sandals were made from dead animals, so it represents the direction that I this person have overcome the world. Have overcome the world. This person can walk in a straight path regardless of the road because she's wearing sandals. If people stop reading their scripture, their Bible, there's no protection against the world. There's no protection against the world. Do not underestimate the power of reading your Bible. It does something mysterious in our life. You know, like when two people are married, if they don't have a meal together a day, or they don't talk to each other a day, if they don't talk to each other maybe one day, okay. But if it happens frequently, what happens? The relationship slowly start dying. There's no divorce that happen at once, but you can see it coming, okay? Here, obviously, he describes her as a daughter of the prince. She is a child of God. She has reached a point where she is royal. She is reflecting the image of God. One of the Western saints said something beautiful. She said, God made known to me what true love consists in and gave light to me about how in practice to give proof of it to him. So how can I give true love to God? She's saying true love of God consists in carrying out God's will. To show God our love and what we do, all our actions, even the least, must spring from our love of God. So how do I show God's love? By following His will and the commandments. And all the actions I do, I try to do them out of the desire to love Him. St. Augustine, by the way, said, he said, the intention to love is love. So the intention for me to love God is love. So this is really what she's saying. And God, and she's saying she's the prince's daughter. Now she is freely giving the word of God to others. She's the prince's daughter. She walks around speaking from experience, from royalty, from how she has been treated by her father. She is now lead, she's now led by the spirit of her father. That's what makes her beautiful. That's what makes her beautiful. Then he says, he describes after this, he says, the curves of your thighs are like jewels, the work of the hands of a skillful man. 
Now he's describing the thighs. What's the whole idea of the thighs? The thighs obviously is what joins the lower body to the upper body. So if you think about it, the spiritual person is the window for people to see heaven. If you want to see heaven, you see a spiritual person. And many people were transformed by meeting one person one or two times. They are window to heaven. That's what they're doing. And also the thighs remember remind us of the spiritual struggle that Isaac went through when he was um, when he was fighting with God, when Jacob was fighting with God. When he told him, I will not let you go until you bless me. It's almost the meeting point between the church of heaven and the church on earth. I told him, I will not I will not leave you until you bless me. And the Lord hit him on his thighs so he can remember the day. The spiritual person is the meeting point between heaven and earth. And that's an amazingly great responsibility. If that window becomes corrupted, it ruins the image of heaven. How many times people would come and be like, Abuna, I don't, I don't come to church because people in the church are fake. And obviously I don't like this mentality, but also sometimes people stumble in what we do. And then he looks at her and says, you, you, your thighs are so beautiful, the works like jewels, the works of the hands of a, of a skillful workman. And I tell her, you look so beautiful, you're made in a way that looks so, shows great diligence. When God looks at our spiritual development that he does in our life, he says, wow. But be careful, when a worksman is working on a statue or doing something, he cuts he breaks, he shapes, he burns to make a perfect statue. So it means that she had allowed herself to withstand all these things. That's why in the psalm it says, I will praise you for I am what? Fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works and that my soul knows very well. God have created us in a wonderful and fearful way. He's everything. Wonderful is a word that's beautiful, but fearful. When the creation sees us, they feel the fear of the Lord in us. Because they're approaching an image of God. This is how God created us. He says, your navel is rounded, goblet, it lacks no blended beverage. Your waist is a heap of wheat set about with lilies. The navel obviously is the belly button and it's, it's rounded like grass, like glass. And when he says your navel is rounded, is rounded it reminds him like of a, of a glass. The belly button usually is an example, is a reflection or a symbolism of our connection 
to the world. It's our connection to the mother that bore us. We were born in this world. So when you cut the belly button, it's almost like you're cutting attachment to the world. And it's rounded because it represents what eternity. Circle usually represents eternity, it has no beginning and end. So your attachment to the world, detachment for the world, raised you to heavenly thinking. So when God looks at a soul that was perfected by detachment from the world. And obviously, detaching from the world is not easy, but as much as we can, we pray that one time we reach a point where nothing impacts us. Like if we are offered great honor, we're not phased. If we're offered great humiliation, we're not phased. Everything that comes is acceptable. Sometimes people, when they offer great honor, they, they act, no, 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 I'm not worthy. And they make a whole scene. And sometimes when people are giving humiliation, they also get really angry and frustrated. But we want to reach a point where they're so detached, detached from everything. Nothing matters at the end of the day. Nothing matters. At the end of the day, all are gone. Right? What matters is the eternal love that I've built with the Lord. And in the old days, the belly button, some people used to decorate it with red rubies or red stones. Okay, and that, that's why he calls it like a glass of wine. That's, that's the expression because they usually put red stones as a decoration. So it reminds us of this detachment and the, and the joy that came from overcoming the detachment. And this detachment comes from being led by the Spirit. That's why you see in Ephesians 5, it says, And do not be drunk with the wine in which this is a salvation, but be filled with the Spirit. God praises how she became led by the Spirit and detached from the world. Every day you grow in your attachment to the world, you are getting closer to God. One time I was talking to a person in the monastic life and they shared something beautiful. Somebody gave us chocolate. We were sitting in a room. It was Fatari, like non-fasting days, and somebody offered us chocolate. So we all ate except that person. So I asked them, I asked that person, I said, you don't eat chocolate? And they told me, I love chocolate. But at some point in my monastic life, I realized that this became an attachment to my life. Where whenever Fatar is coming and unfasting days are coming, I look forward to chocolate. So they've decided to give up chocolate for the rest of their life. Detachment from the world. God looks at this like, wow. Your belly button is beautiful, right? Your detachment from the world is so beautiful. And he says your belly or your waist is like a wheat. Obviously, the wheat is used to make bread. So it means that she is in a state of fulfillment. A lot of times people keep running after things left and right, left and right, because they're not full. They're not satisfied. They're not content. But some people are full, satisfied. And God is saying, your, your, your belly, like, you know, the, the, the belly, we, some of the monastics, they call it 
the mother of all pains, like actually desire for fruit, for food, is a really big thing. It consumes a lot of our time. If he says, your belly is so full, and some people, when they used to collect the harvest, they will decorate it with lilies. Lilies are beautiful plants just to celebrate. So this is like, you're, you're so full, and you like the days of the harvest, full and decorated. That's how you look like in my eyes. And um, by the way, sometimes, some of the fathers said lilies represents the believers that this soul has brought in, attracted to Christ because she was full. She did not need anything. She did not need a, anything. There's an expression in Arabic, actually, you're like, you say, you're like, it's an expression, this person is full or satisfied. It means he, he's not looking for praise. He's, not, he's content where he is. He's full, satisfied. And those type of people attract so many people because everybody in the world is hungry. Hungry for more money, hungry for more fame, more praise, more, 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 never ends. Bigger house, better car, better, does not end, never ends. When you find somebody content, wow, that's the exception. That's the exception. You go to school and it's all about, you know, you want to be in, a, in this scientific conference and you want to have to paper here and research here and if you go to work, you want to build your career and you want to be a VP and MV and all this. It's, it's always something to work for. He talks about your two breasts are like two fawns, twins of gazelle. By the way, this is a verse that was repeated a few times and we talked about, we talked about the, the, the two breasts and we said they actually represents the fact now she's, she's nourishing I want to be careful about explaining, explaining this. In the old days, the biggest source of nourishment they knew were mother feeding a child. Right now we have, you can go to the pharmacy and get vitamins and get, you know, like baby formula and all that stuff you can get to really give nourishment. But in the old days, they did not have this. So the only source of what you get, they do what they get the mother's food. As a matter of fact, if a mom did not have enough milk to feed her child, they will get a goat milk at that time to feed the, the baby. Okay? The baby, mother feeding her, her goat. So this has been something very specific in their mind that the, the feeding and the nourishment comes from what? From the mother. That's why it's repeated a lot. And also in the spiritual life, we always talk about spiritual nourishment. We all need nourishment all the time. And nothing, even now with all the advances in, in technology, nothing replaces the mother, what? Not as milk. The beauty about this verse here is the daughter of Jerusalem and the Lord both praised the soul with the same exact verse. Both of them described her this way. Your two breasts are like fawns, twin of gazelle. The saints obviously are very comfortable speaking highly of each other and the testimony of heaven and earth became one about this soul that became perfected and nourished so many people. And that's, that's really, really important in our life. We are constantly, constantly, if we're close to God, we'll find ourselves constantly 
being nourished and nourishing others. When I was in the monastery, one of the fathers was telling me, uh, the abbot of that monastery, whenever he would see two monks are coming to speak with him, he would always get a verse ready. So when they come to talk to him, he has a verse to share with them. So there's no conversation that would just simply be business or related to monastery. Every conversation would have what? A verse. I mean, they are monks, so they have that freedom to talk about God. But we can also ask God to use us for different sources of nourishment. Then he says, this is all what God praises in the soul. He says, your neck is like an ivory tower. Your eyes like the pools of Hezbon by the gate of Bethrabim. Your nose is like the tower of Lebanon, which looks toward Damascus. The first thing that God is praising in this verse, he says, like God is going from lower, from the sandals, all the way up. Now we reach the neck. Neck is like an ivory tower. It means like your head or your thoughts are raised to heaven. Remember, ivory is usually taken from elephants after their death. For that means the thoughts of the perfected soul have overcome like sin, it died to the world. But also, when the elephant dies, what happens? His aggression dies. He's no longer aggressive. He becomes gentle. He no longer becomes angry. He no longer thinks about himself. He's no longer selfish. He's no longer seeking food. He's dead. So your thoughts have become what? Completely freed from all these worldly traits. When I'm consumed by anger, what does it mean? It means the devil is sitting next to me. And it means that he is reigning over my thoughts. And sometimes he reigns over my feelings. When I want to revenge, or I want to yell, or I want to scream, or I want to use my power to try to discipline somebody where I want to. All these things, it's what? The elephant has not died. The towers is not built. And if you reflect on your own thoughts throughout the day and think about how much you're consumed by food, how much you're consumed by other people and all that stuff, you'll find yourself know how big your tower is at this point. He says, your eyes like the pools of Hezbon by the gate of Beth Rabim. Obviously, the eyes represent spiritual visual. People who are willing to stay up to pray. A lot of times people can keep their spiritual canon, but when they get busy or they get tired, they put it down. And God will be like, that's the moment I like to praise. When your eyes are red tired, your eyes look so beautiful. When he says like the pools, or actually in other translation, fish pools, the fish pools were going to be clear and deep and quiet and full. When you come to me and you're vigilant, your eyes look so clear and beautiful. 
They have no worries because he trusts and look at me. And he obviously describes the, the location of Hashbon, the Beth Rabam. Hashbon, this is east of Jordan. It's the resident of the Amorite king. And, uh, and this, is, this was an area of a lot of crowd coming. So he's telling her, your eyes are so calm and so quiet and so clear in a very crowded world. In a world that does not lift its eyes to God. And also it represents that this person's heart became so open to everybody. Loves every person. This is, you know, like if I tell you God has a message for you, you'll be like, yes, what is it? I want to know. Today God is sending you that description. You want to know what God wants? What He likes to see? And you know what I love about this, this book specifically? It doesn't say anything in a negative way. It's all in a positive way. It's all what God wants to see built in you. All right? And then he talks and he says, he says, uh, your nose is like the Tower of Lebanon which looks toward Damascus. Obviously, Lebanon and Damascus, at some point, they were not good friends. So, the Tower of Lebanon obviously means that she is watching the, 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 the enemy of Damascus coming, means she has the ability to discern. She can see when the warfare comes. And she can say, no, 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 this is not fitting. This little thoughts, if it, keep, if it creeps into my mind, will be a problem. Like for example, somebody, so now few people come and be like, I wanna look, I did not want to confess because I wanted to make sure I am better than last time before coming to you. So that little thought that creeped into their head made them not confess for a while. Now what's the problem with this thought? This thought, I mean, they might not come to me for six months, but during these six months they are taking communion. So it means that they are putting their own success or their own accomplishment more important than being prepared for communion. They want to come to tell me when I've been good for the last three weeks, four weeks. And then what benefit is that? Am I going to give you a star? But you have taken communion multiple times, not prepared, not ready. So a discernment is missing. Or some people who like to follow their own thoughts a lot. I think this and I think that and I see this and I see that and I don't need this and I need that. Where is the guidance, the Tower of Lebanon that can see and discern, right? Also, the word Lebanon, by the way, comes from the word Leban, or means, means incense, which represents, obviously, that, that the sermon comes from a lot of prayer. Look here, he says, your head crowns you like Mount Carmel. And the hair of your head is like purple. A king is held captive by your trusters. Your head is like Mount Carmel. Obviously, Mount Carmel, that is significant. Okay, What's happening in Mount Carmel? First of all, Mount Carmel was a mountain that was very well cultivated and has a lot of fruits and vegetables. 
And you see it mentioned in Isaiah, he says, The wilderness and the wasteland shall be glad for them, and the desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice, even with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the excellence of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord. So the Mount Carmel was going to be what? Excellent. Had a lot of fruits, had a lot of vegetation. But what happened in Mount Carmel? If you want to know, you have to read the life of Elijah. So two situations happened in the life of Elijah at Mount Carmel. One, when he got up to uh, defeat the, the priest of Baal. And he got up and he told them, if you truly worship God, you know, bring, 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 uh, you know, bring offering to God. And he even made fun of them. It's like, you know, maybe your God can't hear, you know, sing louder, dance louder, you know. He started kind of like teasing them a bit to see. And it shows amazing victory over the evil. But also at Mount Carmel, something happened. Remember when Elijah said it should not rain and it did not rain? Now what happened when he prayed for rain? He prayed on the mountain and asked his disciple, do you see anything coming? He says, no. He prayed again. Do you see anything coming? No. He prayed again. Do you see anything coming? No. Then the disciple says, yes, there is a little bit of a cloud coming. Elijah was not shaken. Not shaken. Prays once, twice, three times. The prayer of faith. That mountain of Carmel have seen the glory of a man of prayer. Your head crowns you like Mount Carmel. Your thought process is almost like you have the mind of Elijah. Kid. You struggle in prayer. You're victorious over evil. You're not intimidated by it. You can do this. You can do that. Wow. That's what God sees. God sees your thoughts. You know, one time, uh, one person asked us, he told him, I wanted to be a martyr for God, but uh, there's no opportunity. For God told him, if the desire of Abuna, Sayyidina told him, if the desire of your heart to be martyred, God will count you with what the martyrs. Just the fact that you desire it, just desire it, you are counted among them. My thoughts and my desires can change my eternity significantly. Do not underestimate where your head and heart at. Your head like the crowns your head crowns you like Mount Carmel. And the hair of your head is like purple. Obviously the word, the color purple always represents royalty. God gives glory to the person whose, whose head is like Mount Carmel. And you see this in Revelation. And he has made us kings and priests. God made us kings and priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. This is the beauty of God. This is the beauty of God. 
he crowns us he makes us so more beautiful when he sees the desire in our hearts and our mind there's actually a story that Amba Bifanius mentioned God rest his soul uh, talking about Abu Mu'ar Sambakari is the great and he was saying that at some point the monks and the monasteries were not living a good life that would please the Lord so Saint Makari is a great start interceding to God told him please Lord you know lead them to life repentance please guide them so the Lord told him I'm sorry they have run out of chances so then later on, because if you remember, if you ever been to the monastery of Abu Mu'ar, there is also the church of the 49 uh, elders of Shahid. They were all martyred. For they came to intercede. And when they came to intercede, the Lord said, for the sake of the blood of the martyrs, I will be with them. And I will lead them to repentance. Can you imagine? When you become royal, purple, it means that you have a special intercession with the Lord. That's why we must practice martyrdom of love every day. It is what makes us like God. Every day God gives us chances to be royal. What's going to affect me, this, this earth? People's upset over this or this or nonsense. Nothing impacts me. I remember a story, uh, Father Tedros Mullet, he said it was beautiful. He said, Abuna said like, all his life nobody have ever made him upset. For one time he asked the Lord, he told him, I'm worried that I'm, nobody ever caused me problems. I'm worried that I am not serving you right. If I said God sent me somebody who bothered me, but I don't even remember him. I don't even remember what happened. I just remember God sent him so he can make me feel good. That's the heart, right? That nothing, nothing phases them. God says, how fair and how pleasant you are who love with your delights. God says everything about you is so beautiful. So beautiful. You have so many favors with, with me. I cannot have enough of talking with you. There are many books, by the way, some of the, especially in the West, when they talk about mystics. Mystics are people who see like vision and see the Lord. It talks a lot about how some people, the Lord is so joyful to sit with them from how they have become. When He unites with them in the Eucharist, it's just His joy. We could be delighting to the Lord. Look at what it said in Zephaniah. It says, what? It says the Lord your God is in your midst. The mighty one will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Can you imagine God is singing? Because how beautiful you are. Like you say something and he's like, 
You want something? Here's my love for you. He's glad. And he's making sure, the Bible makes sure, he says, the mighty one. The mighty one is singing. Can you get this? Can you imagine this? Wow. Wow. That's unbelievable. Who does this? This is what God sees in his own children. This is what God sees in his own children. That's why even, the, as we said before, this book can be taken also to refer to the church. And in the, in the scripture, for example, in the book of Acts, uh, it talks about how God was so happy with the church that he used to add people to it daily. How fair and how pleasant. You make me so delightful. God keeps, you want what? You want this? I'll give it to you. More and more people come, more and more people enjoy him. This is what God does with his children. He says, the statues of yours is like a palm tree and your breast like its clusters. Um, I was actually last month in a monastery and they have a lot of palm trees. So if you look at the palm trees, they're very, very tall. You can easily spot them from wherever you are. They're very, very strong. And they can grow in the wilderness, in the desert. So when God looks from above and sees the whole world, He sees palm trees in the wilderness of this world. But usually with palm trees, there's always a little bit of water next to it. It means there's a little bit of the work of the Spirit next to it that makes it to become that strong. And he says your breast like the clusters, okay? He means here the clusters of, of vine, okay? And, and those who are close with God are joyful and they reflect their joy to everybody. They're like a palm tree. But let's see what God does in, uh, I don't know if we have time for verse 8. Let's do verse 8 and then we'll finish. God says, like, you look like a palm tree. He says, I said, I will go up to the palm tree. I will take hold of its branches. Let now your breast be like a cluster of the vine, the fragments of your breath like apples. This verse is just so beautiful. Let's just break it down slowly. The verse said, I said, if you look at the tense of it, it's an immediate action. God says, you have fruits, I am coming. You produced, I can't wait, I could not wait for you to produce fruit. I'm coming right now. Have you ever seen people picking up dates from a palm tree? You guys know how you do it in, in the East? You find some, some, some person like tying himself in a rope and he uses two hooks and goes up all the way because the palm tree is so high, right? So they go up all the way. It's a very tiring process. It's not easy. So God says, you have fruits. I don't care about all this effort. I will go up to the palm tree. God is not sending an angel to enjoy your fruits. He himself will put every effort possible to taste it. Like you've produced some love, God himself will come to enjoy it. You became humble, God himself will come to enjoy it. Patience, given, forgiving, became pure, became 
diligent, he will come. How much effort it will take, doesn't matter. He says, I will take hold of its branches. You know, like, uh, this is just my own imagination, just, but you know, the, the branches of the palm tree represents what? If you guys remember in uh, Palm Sunday, right? the people are joyful and celebrating that Christ is coming. It's almost the Lord is celebrating that we have fruits. He himself is holding the palms in his hands. You know, it reminds me of, uh, if, you, if you read the letters of Thessalonians, Thessalonians 1, God talks about the second coming. And it's a, one of the most beautiful verses ever. It says, God is coming on the clouds with a shout of joy. He is shouting. Like the same shout that the, that the commander would, would shout in a, in a war for a sign of victory, the Lord himself shouts it as he's coming to collect his children back to heaven with him. We underestimate how joyful God becomes when we become holy and we become perfected by Him and how much it impacts Him otherwise. Father Shui Kamel had a very famous saying, he says, when somebody sins, the Lord stands next to them crying. He says, woe to our tears that does not have compassion on you. So God will go up and pick up the branches. Look, look at what it says in Hebrew 2.16. It says, For indeed he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. There are certain blessings that we get that even the angels themselves do not get. You know, any one of us, you could, God could have created you a tree or a, or a bird or a flower or a animal or anything or a star but God created you his image that is really great love that we cannot understand and he says we talked about the breast but another way to look at the breast is some people said it is the two precepts of love active love and contemplative love of a Christian life some people the fact that you sit with God and contemplate him and his work is an act of love. The fact that you actually do work and run and serve, this is what love. Some people will describe, we said it could mean the human soul, it could mean the church. Actually, the most perfected soul, as we know of, is Saint Mary. Okay? So some people would say the, the breast of Mary will be her virginity and her, and her humility. That's what, what, what fed all the world, is her purity, and her humility. Okay? And he says, and he continues and says, Let me, uh, let now your breast be like a cluster of vine, the fragrance of your breath like apple. So the vine itself is a nourishment from Christ Himself. Look at what the Lord says in John. He says, I am the true vine, and my father, my father is a vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may 
bear more fruit. So the Lord himself is what? He says, your breast became like a cluster of wine, like you became almost like me in your love. And he says, your breath are like, the fragrance of your breath is like apples. Obviously, apple trees were known to be uh, were among the woods, but also apple had a very specific smell. But this is this verse is beautiful. Why? Because really, in order for you to smell somebody's breath, really, it means like you have to be close to some, to them. You know, like he has a coffee breath. He washed his teeth today, all that, whatever stuff. But for the fact that the Lord talks about people's breath, it shows that how close He is. How close He is. When you talk, He's right there. He's not far. He's so intimate with everything He does with us. And you will never find this anywhere outside Christianity. How intimate God with His people. It is something that is we cannot comprehend. This is the Almighty One singing, rejoicing, talking and praising His own creation, whom He made them children, whom He gave them everything. And all this should make us really looking forward to please him. I was talking with a monk this week. He said something beautiful. He told me, Abuna, the only request you should have for God every way, every day, tell him, God, how can I glorify your name today? How can I give glory to you today? May God give us Kedah to glorify God everywhere and fill his heart with joy and gladness as he looks at every part of us so closely, so intimately, with great love and glory be to God forever and ever. Amen. This talk was brought to you by Upper Room Media. We hope that this talk has, through the grace of God, touched your heart and we pray that it will not only inform you but will also transform you and your life with Christ.